Amen. Good morning, BCC. Are we all good? Excellent. I'm good, thank you. And, uh, but I do need your prayer because my wife is away for a few days. Not only that, my two daughters have gone to Limitless, gone to their youth camp. So I'm home alone, but with my son, who's actually joined me for the second service, praise the Lord, Ben. And I can kind of see in Ben's eyes the, the, the joy that we have no girls in the house for three or four days. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the, the funny thing about Limitless and the youth camps is that when my boys used to go, the question to them was, right, have you got your flask, your torch, and your tent? But with my teenage daughters, is have you got all your eyelashes, all your nails, and all of your foundation and makeup? As long as they've got those three things, they are fine. Praise the Lord. So, as you know, we're starting a new Bible series called Bible Heroes. And last week we looked at Moses. And Kevin brought us a great message on how God is the, the, the person with the power who has the plan. And this week we're going to be looking, as we've seen, at the, the life of Samson. Um, Samson lived as a judge and he ruled over Israel during the time of Judges, which was actually from chapter 13 to 16. At the time, Israel was under the oppression of the Philistines because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And I don't know if you've been following our Bible plan, but you'll probably notice that from Judges, especially when you get to Kings and Chronicles, every chapter seems to begin with the words, Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's a little bit of a glimpse into the kind of world that Samson was living in. And as we've seen, that as long as Samson didn't cut his hair, God gave him supernatural strength as a way of rescuing God's people from their enemies. But before we get into uh, his life, I just want to tell you a quick story about when I went to get a special haircut. And I'll take you back with me to April 1997. I know only some of us go back that far, but come back with me anyway. Me and Debbie were about to get married in the May of 97, and I thought, as a, as a secret treat for her, I'm going to try and do something special with my hair. Now, up until that point, all I've ever done was kind of short back and sides, and the only thing my barber had ever done was short back and sides, and if you asked for anything else outside of that, you'd get a, pretty much a clip around the ear roll and told you'll get what you get. But this was a special occasion, so I'm going to try and do something special. Where I used to work was in Spark Brook, uh, Spark Hill at the time. So I thought, I'll have a little stroll, see if there's any random hairdressing shop that might be able to help me out. So I went up the road, spotted these hairdressers, um, thought, great, I'll go in there and spoke to them. It's my wedding in a, three or four weeks. Um, I'd like something special. Do you think you could help me out? They said, yeah, come on in. Have a, have a little flick through this magazine. So I'm flicking through. Okay, George Clooney, that would do quite nicely. Brad Pitt. That would be great. Yeah, something, something like that, that would be fine. So we booked, booked the appointment. So about a week before the wedding, I go to the hairdressers. I go in thinking, you know, scissors, bit of a something, and it'll be done. So they, they, they bring me over, sit me down in the chair, lean me back, start shampooing my hair and everything. I think, wow, this is pretty amazing. So then sit me up, bring up this trolley full of rollers. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay. Next thing I know, hair's up, rollers in, down it goes. Two minutes later, my head's full of about 12, I don't know how many rollers, but full of rollers. 
And I'm thinking, I hope nobody from church walks in right now. <laughs> so then they bring me into this back room, which I hadn't been in before. Back room faced with, must have been about eight to ten of these big hair dryers, which you sit under. And they bring me over and say, come on, sit over here between Barbara and Betty. And Barbara and Betty are like, oh, we don't get many young men in here. And I'm thinking, there's a first. <laughs> Hi. So they sit me between Barbara and Betty, and Barbara's got the TV Times, and Betty's reading the Woman's Weekly, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm in a parallel universe right now. And literally, from that point on, it's a blur. I do not remember anything until I got into my car, and I'm looking at my hair, and I'm not seeing George Clooney <laughs> at all. My hair is literally a fro of curls and uh, amazement. And I'm petrified because I've now got to go and show Debbie this and this could just ruin the whole wedding and it was supposed to be a treat and supposed to be something special. But she sees it and says, oh, what have you done to your hair? But we, we actually go to a hairdresser that she uses and they, they rescue it. And now in my wedding pictures, it's just a slight, slight wave. But it becomes such a deal that we had to say to ourselves, look, it's not about the hair, it's about the wedding. And the title of our message today is actually, it's not about the hair, it's about the covenant. And before we get into his life, I just want to show you something quite amazing that I, that I, that I saw about the life of Samson. And this is going to be my first point this morning, that as we look through his life, we actually see some really detailed uh, parallels between him and the life and ministry of Jesus. And I'm just going to read us through a few. We should have a slide that you might be able to see. Because it's quite interesting how, how parallel they are. The first one, the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's parents and prophesies his birth. And that he will rescue God's people from their enemies. The angel of the Lord appears to Jesus' parents and says, You will bring forth a son and you shall call him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. The second one, Samson is born to a barren woman. Jesus is born to a virgin. Number three, Samson seeks a bride from amongst the Gentiles. Jesus invites the Gentile nations to be a part of the bride of Christ. Number four, on the way to seek out his bride, he kills a lion that, had attacked, that was attacking him with his bare hands. Jesus destroyed Satan, who is likened to a roaring lion. Number five, Samson was betrayed by Delilah for silver, and Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Number six, Samson stretched out his hands in the shape of a cross to destroy the temple. Jesus said, I will destroy this temple, referring to his death. Number seven, Samson sacrifices his own life to save God's people. Jesus gives his life to save mankind. And the last one, Samson's greatest victory was in his death. Jesus' greatest victory was his death on the cross. You know, it's encouraging, isn't it, that as we look through all these Bible heroes, regardless of all their flaws, that God still uses them to write his story, work out his purpose and his plan through their lives. And even here, through the life of Samson, he points us to Jesus Christ himself. So we can drop that slide now as we, uh, as we move on. Okay, so let's look um, at the life of Samson and let's kind of rewind right back from, from the point of Delilah 
to when an angel visits Samson's mom even before he was born. It says in Judges 13, verse 5, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. The one consistent thing about this, Samson's life is this, that he had a covenant from God. And this brings me to my second point this morning, which is we and you have a covenant from God. This covenant that Samson had was established even before he was born. It was that covenant with God that gave him supernatural strength to fulfill his purpose and to rescue God's people from the Philistines. And what we're going to see is that God wasn't faithful to Samson because Samson warranted God's faithfulness. In fact, it was completely the opposite when we look at his life and how he acted. God was faithful to Samson because God is faithful to his covenant. And this is really key this morning, church, because the main point of my message today that I hope will thread through the whole of my, my message is, is that you also have a covenant made by God and everything that you need to live the Christian life is found in Christ and the covenant that he has made with you. God isn't faithful to you because you warrant his faithfulness. God is faithful to you because he's faithful to the covenant that is made with you. Now, I just want to explain a little bit on this word covenant, because it's quite an old-fashioned word, and maybe if it's your first time in church today, it might be a word that you haven't come across a lot. But if you Google the word covenant, you'd see that it's, just a, it's a promise that's made between two people. If you've ever had the joy of going through the, the marriage vows, you get asked, will you? You say, I will. You get asked, do you? And you say, I do, unless you're like Roy and he just says yes before he's asked any questions. You're supposed to wait for Pastor Nick to ask you the question first, Roy, and then you say, I do. Bless the Lord. But in the Bible, covenant simply means a sacred agreement between God and a person or group or a group made up of promises and conditions. Now, the great thing about our covenant church, and we have an amazing covenant, don't we? because of what God has done for us. But the, the amazing thing about this covenant that we have is that the two people that are involved in making our covenant are God the Father and God the Son. Because we often think that our covenant is God up there and me down here, and we're trying to hold ourselves into this covenant. But the wonderful thing about our covenant, it's between the Father and the Son. And Hebrews 6 paints this wonderful picture concerning our covenant. It explains that because God could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So that by two unchangeable things, we can hold firm to all of God's promises and the covenant that can never be broken. So we have God the Son over here, promising God the Father over here that I will go to the cross to purchase redemption for the people. And we have God the Father over here, promising God the Son over here that if you go to the cross and purchase their redemption, I will breathe life into them. I will bring them in, include them in everything that I have for them. And of course, we have two people here to whom it is impossible for them to break their promises. So we have a covenant that is unbreakable. 
So let's look at the life of Samson. And this brings me to my third point, and this is that God's covenant means we always have purpose. Now we're going to jump into uh, chapter 14 and 15 here. I'm not going to read them both through, but we're going to see that the life of Samson, he is, it's a crazy, crazy ride. Samson, the, the boy Samson at some point had developed some serious issues. Hence why I say that God's not faithful because Samson warranted it. And when we see how he acted, we'll, we'll see this. In fact, God was dealing with a guy here who had some serious anger issues, zero people skills, and someone who today would probably be cast, uh, classed as an egomaniac. And to pinch one of uh, Pastor Nick's words from a few weeks ago, this story has become about brand Samson. Yet God remains faithful to his purpose through Samson because, as I've said, God is faithful to his covenant. So I'm just going to summarise chapter 14, 15, and I want you to just come with me on this journey and hear how mad things, how mad the whole thing escalates. Because basically, this story here is about a seven-night stag do that just went completely out of control, ended in thousands killed and property damaged to huge scale. And if you read the newspapers the day after, that's what it would say. Thousands killed, stag night out of control. So just come with me on this journey. So Samson, he went to a place called Timnah amongst the Philistines and a woman caught his eye. He came back and said to his parents, I like her, I want to marry her, get her for me. His parents were like, oh, we'd rather you marry an Israelite girl, not a Philistine girl. But Samson said, no, I like her, I want to marry her, get her for me. Now here's a key verse here for this whole story. Chapter four, uh, verse 4 of chapter 14, it says, His father and mother didn't realise the Lord was at work in this creating an opportunity to work against the enemies of God. Maybe your life right now is a, is a blur of just craziness and wild things. Maybe the Lord's at work in this, creating an opportunity for you to see his glory. So back to the story. They're on their way to see this woman. A lion jumps out and attacks Samson, but he just grabs it by the jaws, kills it like it's a little, uh, just a little goat. And they carry on and they, they meet this woman. Samson's happy. The parents are happy, I think. The wedding's on. Great. So they go back home. And whilst the dad is preparing the final wedding arrangements, Samson goes back to this Philistine town, throws a party, which is customary uh, for the wedding preparations of the time. And it says that it's customary, it's customary, customary sorry, for elite young men. Now you can kind of hear Samson must love the term elite young men. But during the party, he gives these 30 men a riddle and says, right, solve this riddle. And I'll give you 30 fine linen robes. Don't solve the riddle, and you've got to give me 35 linen robes. They couldn't solve it, so they come to Samson's wife-to-be. It's a bit of a prequel to the Delilah story. Say, entice Samson to give you the answer so that we can solve the riddle. If you don't, we're going to burn your father's house down with you in it. I'm thinking it's just a riddle, guys. It's just a riddle. So Samson's wife comes to him in tears and says, you don't love me. You hate me. 
You won't even give me the answer to the riddle. And she keeps nagging and nagging for seven days. So Samson gives in. He just gives him. He can't take the nagging anymore. So he gives her the answer. She tells the men. They come back. They've solved it. And Samson is really, 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 really furious. So he goes down to the local town, kills 30 men, steals all their belongings, gives them their finding in robes. And he's so angry now. He says, I don't want to get married. I'm going back to mummy. This is literally the story, in my summarisation of it anyway. But whilst he's back with his mum, his wife-to-be marries his best man. Oh, my word. Now he's really furious. And now he says, I won't be held responsible for what I'm going to do to the Philistines. So he goes out, catches 300 foxes, as we do, tied their tails together, set them on fire, sent them through all the Philistines' uh, vines and land and property and burned it all down together. The Philistines see what's happened, the devastation, and they say, what's, what's happened? And the reply comes back, oh, it's Samson, because his wife married his best man. So they went to get his wife and her father and burnt them to death. I think it's just a riddle, guys. It's just, it was just literally a riddle. So Samson, he's gone to live in a cave now. And now he's even so furious that he kills hundreds and hundreds of them. And then the Philistines come back to try and get him. He finds the jawbone of a donkey, kills them all. And that's the end of the chapters. Wow, what a ride that, what a ride that Samson's just been on. This guy, he's just a, a, a full of anger, full of all these traits in him. And it all came from just a riddle. My word, Samson. Now listen to how Samson talks about himself after he's, after he's uh, destroyed a thousand Philistines. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. Now listen to how Samson talks to the Lord. He says Samson was now very thirsty and he cried out to the Lord, You have accomplished this great victory through the strength of your servant. Must I now die in the hands of these pagans? But God answered Samson's prayer. And it says that God caused water to gush out of the hollow in the ground. And Samson, he was revived as he drank. And I'm thinking, God, why would you answer this guy's prayer when he's just so all over the place? And the answer is that because God is faithful to his covenant with Samson. You know, last week, yeah, we heard that Moses ruled himself out, didn't he? Because he just felt so inadequate. This really wasn't the, the, the issue that Samson had. He, he, he did not feel inadequate at all, but he was so full of flaws and it was just a mess. And maybe you feel like your life is just a mess and because of your life and how it looks, my family's a mess, my kids are a mess. How could God ever use me? Maybe you do roar yourself out. And if that is you, maybe if you're willing today to go on a journey with God, just bring all of that mess with you. And what you'll find is that Christ is faithful to his covenant with you. And that he has a purpose for you that can start today. Of course, from that episode of Samson, we have to uh, address the question of character, don't we? And this is my fourth point, character versus gifting. And you know, when our gifting far outweighs our character, 
Things just get damaged. Proverbs 10, verse 9, it says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. God made sure, didn't he, that as believers we both have the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, but also the fruits of the Spirit, because it's important to him that we develop gifts and strength of character. If you do a quick Google search on gifting and character, you'll, you'll find this, that gifting has to do with talent, intelligence, abilities, and even spiritual gifts. Character is internal integrity, honesty, humility, teachableness, accountability, the ability to treat others well, the ability to honour authority. Gifting can open doors for your church, but character can come behind you and close them twice as quick. It's a little bit like when I was trying to tile my bathroom once. And I'm going to embarrass him because he's sitting right here on the front row. I was trying to tile my... Now, I'm no, I have no gifting for uh, tiling, but I did it anyway. And I tiled around the sink, tiled around the, the bath, around the toilet. I was thinking, yeah, that looks pretty pretty good. I'm pretty impressed with my work there. Put all the grating in and etc. So I've gone away and about an hour later I come back to find that my eldest son had got hold of a permanent black marker and said, look dad, I've drawn lots of superheroes all over the tiles. (laughs) Thanks Ben. (laughs) It was only last week. (laughs) But that's just a picture of how character can, or bad character can follow you and destroy the things that you're trying to build in your life. But ladies, don't marry gifting. Marry character. Oh, but he sings like Elvis Presley. Yes, but his character's all shook up. And you don't want years of living with suspicious minds or constant visits to jailhouse rock. Sorry, church, I've made these up myself. Oh, but he dances like Michael Jackson. Yes, but his character is so bad that when things start getting tough, he's likely to just beat it. Sorry. Really sorry. Or one day you'll find out that he's just some smooth criminal. Anyway, come on, let's carry on. A little less uh, conversation, a bit more action, please. So as we've seen, Samson was seriously lacking in character because at some point he had lost focus and lost sight of the God who was the king of his covenant. God was the source of his strength. But I'd like to give him a little bit of slack because, you know, if I put out a call for who wants to come with me to be on Samson's counselling team... How many hands would be put up right there? No? No? In fact, if it was me and I had to go up to Samson, I'd just say, Samson, Pastor Nick wants to have a word with you. (laughs) And this brings me to my fifth point, that God's covenant is where our strength comes from. And this brings brings us to the story that we heard this morning with Delilah. And it's really interesting because the word Delilah means feeble or to enfeeble someone to slacken something, to bring low. Have you noticed how Satan tries to convince us that he's strong and that he's fearsome? But actually, he's feeble. 
He's described in the Bible as a defeated foe. It says he's like a roaring lion. But how many people know that Jesus has crushed his head under his feet? We will see here through Delilah how Satan, he uses questions and accusations at your life to get you to take your focus off the God of your covenant, to get you to take your focus off that new covenant that we have. So the Philistines had clocked on that when Samson falls in love, that's the best time to strike. And they'd figured out this weakness, so they don't use strength, they don't use money, they use beauty. But I think Delilah actually asked quite a good question. Where does your strength come from? A question that we probably should be asking ourselves today and a question that we're going to see the answer to. So she asks him this four times. So the first time she asks is this. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong? Sheila did this so much better than I did. Please tell me what makes you so strong and what would it take to tie you up securely? Does it remind you how Satan asked questions in the garden? Did God really say? But Samson lies to her because I don't think he trusts her anyway. Now the thing is, Samson could just say no, but then we wouldn't have the rest of the story, but let's carry on. He says, if I was tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried up, I would become as weak as anyone else. So they try this, but it doesn't work, and his strength remains. So she asks him a second time. Now this time it's with a question, but also with some accusation. So Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me, how can you be tied up securely? Revelation 12 says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of the saints. Accusations come from him just like Delilah had started to throw accusations in. But Samson lies again. He said, if I was tied up with brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. Of course, again, that's not true. They try again, but Samson breaks the ropes. So she comes for a third time, more questions, more accusations. You've been making fun of me, Samson. You've been telling me lies. Now tell me, how can you be tied up? Samson lies, but she is getting closer because now he mentions the hair. Samson replied, if you were to weave seven braids of my hair into the fabric on your loom and tighten, tighten it with the loom shuttle, a little bit like my visit to the hairdressers, I would become weak just like anyone else. But again, she's failed. So she goes for a fourth time, and this time she gets him. It says then, Delilah pouted. And I'm not going to try and do a pout, but I don't know, does your wife have a look, guys? Does she have a look, a word, a code? My wife, Debbie, normally refers to me as Jay, but if it's Jason and the chin goes down, I am in big trouble. Ladies, you just have this power that us mere mortal men, we just don't understand. We've tried for years, decades to figure it out. All I can ask is, ladies, would you use it to push us closer 
to Christ. But young men, there is hope because I have figured something out. When your wife asks you, and if you're just about to get married, remember this, tie it round your neck, as I say in the Proverbs. When your wife asks, how do I look? It's not a question. It's actually a command. What she's actually saying is, tell me I look great. When she asks, how do I look? And then adds the words, be honest. What she's actually saying is, tell me I look great and make it sound as genuine as you possibly can. And always remember, you've got two seconds to answer or else it's... And I'll throw this other one in for free. She's not always right, but she is never wrong. Anyway, back to the story. Delilah pouted. How can you tell me, Samson, I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. So Samson shared his secret with her. My, my hair was never being cut, for I was de- dedicated to God as a, as a Nazarite. If my hair was cut, my strength would leave, and I would become as weak as anyone else. And Delilah realized that he had told her the truth. So she called them it, called the Philistines back in. She'd lulled him to sleep with his head in her lap. And then she called a man in to shave off the seven locks of his hair. And in this way, she began to bring him down. And she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. The truth is, that Samson spiritually had fallen asleep long time ago to the heart reality of God and his covenant as the source of his strength. He had a head knowledge of the facts, but actually was so blind that he thought he didn't need God anymore or his covenant anymore. And he said, I will do as before and shake myself free. But God had left him and he had to realize that he couldn't do this in his own strength. Church, you weren't meant to have the strength to run this race. Your strength flows from the God who has made a covenant with you. That if you believe on the Son, he will come to live in you by his Spirit. Christ will be in you and you will be in Christ. He will declare you forgiven, accepted, justified, righteous and holy. This is a battle for your eyesight. A battle for your focus. Your strength doesn't lie in trying to make yourself cleaner or better before God. Your strength lies in never losing the wonder of who Christ is and what he has accomplished for you. Listen to the words of Peter, the apostle. This is 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's actually given us everything we need for gifting and character. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable us to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. 
And then it says, in light of this, add to your life character. But then in verse 9, it says, if you're failing to add character, it's because you're short-sighted and you've forgotten that you were cleansed from all your sin. We don't develop character by focusing on character. We develop character and strengths by focusing on him and his covenant with us. So just come to my final point now, and if I can invite the worship team to come up. So the Philistines had captured him, and they'd gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains. And whenever you see bronze in the Bible, it represents suffering. So he was bound with suffering chains, forced to grind grain in the prison. It says in verse 22... But before long, his hair began to grow back. Samson had lost his eyes, but was getting his focus back on his covenant with God. God's faithfulness to his covenant means that you are never without hope. No matter what your situation is today, God's covenant over your life means that there is always hope for you. The Philistines even held a festival to celebrate their great victory. They said, bring Samson out so he can amuse us. So they brought him out and Samson said to the young man, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. The temple was full of all the Philistine rulers with about 3,000 people in all. Samson prayed a prayer. Such a contrast to the prayer that he prayed before but it was all about him. He said, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. And he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people so he killed more people more of God's enemies when he died than he had during his lifetime do you feel like in your life today something's blinded something's been gouged out and it's just a blur and you feel like maybe Satan is somehow laughing at you because you've messed things right up you've messed it up and you've messed it up big time Or in the past, you tried church, you tried God, and you just really got it wrong. You're messed up and you feel like you're imprisoned, going round and round, full of guilt and shame. Maybe life has got too much for you and you feel overwhelmed by it all. And you don't even see a future for yourself. Well, Samson had come to the realisation that he cannot do this in his own strength. Samson's ending tells us that you have a God who will never give up on you. You have a covenant with the King of Kings. That means it's never checkmate for your life. Satan can never put your life in checkmate because he can never catch your King. Samson's ending was greater than everything that had gone before. So today, I want to invite you, church, And maybe we could stand to our feet as we come to worship. But I want to invite you to say, Lord, 
refresh in me today the wonder of Christ and his covenant so that you can know today in your heart that you do have a purpose, that you do have a strength and that you do have a future. Bless the Lord. Let's worship together.